We've been uh, going through Acts after, for the last, I don't know, quite a few months, about looking at the early church and how the early church began. And uh, we're going to make a change now and come back to uh, Jesus and his teaching. And the reason is, um, we talk a lot about the kingdom of God. We talk a lot about having a, looking for a kingdom mindset in this church. And it's a very good thing to be thinking about and wrestling with. But it's also really easy to distill down this as a kingdom mindset or we're going to pursue the kingdom in a manner that actually becomes very customized in the sense of it sort of wraps around me and my life and it doesn't really go very deep. I thought it would be good for us and for me to reflect on what does it mean to have a kingdom mindset? What does it mean when we say that? And uh, part of my thinking has been stimulated by a, a book uh, that I've mentioned before called Sandcastles and Skyscrapers, Rediscovering the Truth, Beauty, Re- Rediscovering Truth, Beauty and Love by a guy called Jake Hamilton, um, who's, who's a refreshingly candid writer. He's given some thoughts about this, and I, so I'm, I'm unapologetically um, pursuing some of what he's sort of awoken in me as I've read, and revisiting the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, Jesus' teaching. You, it's quite familiar to many people in Matthew chapter 5. You know, the blessed are's, the blessed are you, blessed are this, blessed are that. If you look through the, the, the chapters that uh, are in Matthew about Jesus' teachings, He starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. They go through the blessed. Then he talks about salt and light. You are the light of the world. I have not come to abolish the law. Uh, He talks about murder, and you shall not murder. In fact, even if you think something, it's wrong. Adultery is the same. Even if you look the wrong way, you're condemned. Uh, Divorce should not happen. Don't make any oaths. An eye for an eye, and eye for an eye, cheek for cheek. If anyone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other. I love your enemies. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Give to the needy. Stop being so opinionated in front of people. When you pray, do not do it like hypocrites. Uh, do it in private. Uh, when you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites, but do and they disfigure their faces. Lay, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Trust God and he will actually provide for your needs. Do not worry the lilies of the field. You've heard all these, right? Put them all back back to back together. It's depressing. Because what we do is say, there's no way I can do that. There's no way on earth I know how to be anything like that. And so what we do is say, I'm just not the spiritual kind. Or we start on it and say, I'm going to really try today to love my enemies. And after, you know, by 12 o'clock, we're irritated. By 2 o'clock, we've screwed it up. And there's this ability for us to listen to voices that come out of Scripture when we read it wrong and just go into depression or go into anger or go into denial. So either Jesus is absolutely insane and he lives in another realm of which we know nothing, which is true, but his words become a joke or there's a reason for these words that is beyond just a superficial interpretation of depressing news about what I'm not. So my prayer this morning is that we're actually encouraged by his word. That word sometimes needs to be wrestled with in order to find what it's actually saying and what it's not saying. I mean, blessed means to be supernaturally joyful. And so all of the kingdom and the whole of kingdom mindset to begin with has nothing to do with what's going on around us. So if you read the the early church history and how the early Christians died and how the early Christians uh, were led to the slaughter or faced, they, they demonstrated a joy and a peace that was supernatural because their circumstances were leading them to death. 
And one of the first things to discover about the kingdom of God is that it's not rooted in your circumstances. Neither is God's favor or his blessing. And what I mean by that is that the natural world is not the world through which God necessarily speaks in terms of his favor. So supernatural joy in the blessings that Jesus describes comes from within. And it says, despite my circumstances and despite whatever's going on in the physical realm, I have hope because God is my Lord and he is real to me. And the Spirit is where I get my life. But most of us, if not all of us, do not start there. We start with struggling to make sense of this stuff, which is what we should be doing. Because if we're not struggling, we're probably settling for something far less. And Christianity can be very cruel in that way because you can just discount yourself and say, well, I'm just not like that. And then then you interpret that as being other people have more advantages than you do. But we all actually are cut from the same cloth. We have this... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And what I want to encourage you with, I mean, you've read the Ten Commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall not uh, commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not thus, you know, a lot of shall nots, right? And you look at the Ten Commandments and, and people, people who are far from God say, well, I try and keep the Ten Commandments. I haven't murdered anybody. That's often the cliché. And you go, well, the, the Ten Commandments are like these Beatitudes. They're like these passages that I've just skimmed through and highlighted for you. I don't think God has given them to us to say, I'm really expecting you to do this. I think what God is doing is saying, if you look at the Ten Commandments and you look at these teachings of Jesus, what, Jesus, what is being described as Jesus? If you want to see who Jesus is, read those things. He says, that's how he thinks and that's how he lives on earth as in heaven. And the reason he does that is because my spirit, the spirit of the living God, is within him and is, this, is, is what I actually created human beings to be in Adam and Eve in Eden before the fall. And so he's, he's saying, this is, what it's, this is my intention. This is life on earth. This is Jesus. Same material, totally different form. What I want to talk about this morning, ultimately, is how do you get from here to here? And when we read the scriptures, often we just say, ah, I'm just an old block. I can never be like this. And my contention is, I mean, I, if I could have done this really well, I probably would have had, you know, 20 blocks being carved towards this, but I didn't. So you can use your imagination. You know, f- follow my notes today. The reason why we have the Ten Commandments and we have Jesus teaching where he's describing this is, what a, a, this is what a kingdom mindset looks like. This is what a kingdom citizen behaves like. And you go, it is impossible. And Jesus stands next to you and says, of course it's impossible. This is a mirror. So when you stand in front of the mirror and you see this and you think you're this, he goes, what's not happening? Well, I thought I was this, but you're really this. Now, if you listen to the wrong voice, which is the voice of Satan, what he does is he says, you'll never be like this. I mean, you are, I mean, so far, I'd give up right now if I were you. I mean, look at you. You don't resemble anything. If God looks at you right now, he'd be ashamed. He would never use you. It's the kingdom of this world. Kingdom of this world, this one looks and says, I don't have anything that's outwardly successful. Maybe I didn't go to university. I don't have a very good job. I'm pathetic because all the value of this is being around your finances and your job and your position and your success and your marriage, your lack of marriage or whatever it is. And we have to begin to come to terms with what does it mean to be a Christian in a kingdom lifestyle where we are encouraged to continue to grow rather than be depressed because of what hasn't happened yet. 
the blessed hours and all that follows and the Ten Commandments are, are like mirrors that describe who Jesus is. This is God's perfect will. And I come and stand before it and I go, it's useless. But behind me is Jesus. He says, I've got good news for you. You need a savior. Oh, I thought that was just being washed and being forgiven for my sins. He said, well, that was just getting in the room. I mean, coming to the cross and asking me to forgive you for your sin is just getting into the room so you can look in the mirror, almost. I didn't die on a cross and forgive you of your sins so that you could just be a clean block. I died on the cross and forgave you of your sins so I could get my hands on you. Well, why would God want to get his, my hands on you? He's jolly lucky that I'm, as a, if I'm British, he's jolly lucky that, that, that I voted for him. He got, Jesus has my vote. And I walk around saying, yes, I'm a Christian. I might have flaws and I'm not a very good Christian, but I do believe. What Jesus is about is saying, follow me so that your belief becomes a lifestyle. So what does he say? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He doesn't say blessed are the poor, which is often a misreading of that. It's got nothing to do with money. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So you go from that, because you, you know, I googled it up and half the people are talking about money. It's got nothing to do with money. Blessed are the poor in S, small s, spirit. And what he's saying is that the beginning of life and the beginning of supernatural joy is when you're beginning to understand who you are in the face of God. In this world, in the kingdom of this world, the bigger I can stand, the prouder I can stand, the more self-sufficient I can be, the more stuff I have to show that I'm successful, the longer my cruises are, the bigger my holidays are, the more money I have in them, that means I'm successful and blessed by God. Problem is two-thirds of the world are cut out of that equation. And so often we talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God and his favor and they just actually... They're just words spiritualizing the world in which we live, speaking the same language. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the poor in spirit, the last thing they would do is say, look who I am. There's a, there's a, a phrase that's been passed down through the generations and years that, that talks about saints. Uh, I mean, one of the, the sad things is, you know, poor old Mother Teresa, uh, the, the Pope made her a saint. I think Mother Teresa and Jesus are going, how stupid that man is. I thought he was infallible. I'm not, anti, I'm not anti-Catholic any more than I'm anti-Pentecostal. Or, you know, it doesn't matter to me. It's just stupid. Why? Because if Jesus could come down and speak to the Pope, he'd say, I actually made her a saint when she became a Christian. All of the Christians are saints. Even the Catholics. How on earth do you guys get to start deciding who's going to be a saint? I made them a saint by the blood of Jesus, not by the works they did. But we need to believe that for ourselves. But you have been rescued and you have been sanctified. And Paul says to the saints in Port Alberni, this is a saint. Just needs some work. Because Paul also says your salvation is being worked out. You were saved, you are being saved, you will be saved. So what does poor in spirit mean? Poor in spirit means I'm a work in progress. Let me read you a few things. Somebody says... uh, Poor in spirit is an honest confession that we are sinful and utterly without the moral virtues that we need to commend us to God. It is our deepest form of repentance. It acknowledges our desperate need for God. You know, apart from the revelation of our need for God, our need, our, 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 the revelation of how incomplete we are leads us to shame and depression and despair. And that's when we think we should be better than we are and we start having fantasies about how great we are and then it all comes crashing down and we think, oh grief, this is useless. It's only because we were deceived in the first place. 
One of the reasons we need to walk in fellowship, one of the reasons we need to walk in the light with one another is to get an honest understanding of who we are and who we are becoming. Who we are not and who we are becoming. It's very easy to spiritualize life. But relationships will soon reveal what is in our heart. There's no escape of that. And poor in spirit embraces the process. The um, Colossians 2 13, Paul talks about how we were dead in our sin. All of us were dead in our sin. Do you know what it is like to be dead in sin? I won't read it now, but I mean, Colossians, when he talks about I was dead in sin, which means I had no awareness of God. I had no awareness that I was even a sinner. I was just dead. And then when Jesus began to be revealed to me and I began to say, Jesus, I want to know you, I became aware of my sinful nature. And he made me alive. I don't know, but if you go into the morgue, none of them are going to come alive because they're dead. Dead people don't think. Dead people don't get up. They're dead. So how can, you, how can a dead person make the effort to become acceptable when they're dead? The, only dead? the only hope a dead person has is for something living to bring them to life, which is not their initiative. Now that's very good news because you see you and I begin to think we have to earn it and God says you were dead. I raised you up. It was my idea. I mean I created you and you totally messed it up because you were ignorant and you didn't know and all that stuff but you were still dead and I came that you might have life. So the question to ask why did you bring me to life? Why did you pick me up? And the first thing he says to every block is, I love you. You are actually fearfully and wonderfully made. But you look in the mirror and you say, well, I'm fearfully wondering, but look, I still look like this. And he says, well, that's why I love you, because I see what is inside you. I see what you have become. I see what you can become if you let me get my hands on you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, are those who have begun to clue in to the fact that they are not a finished work, and that they need the hands of God upon them to produce that. That you cannot make yourself into that. Are you following me? You see, the good news is, what I'm saying validates the, in, it, the incompleteness in us, because we all know we're incomplete, unless we really, really are out of tune with life and ourselves. We all know that we're a work in progress. The validation of this word is that God says, I know that. If you're not poor in spirit and you're proud, you will deny it, and try and hide it and pretend you're something you're not. You're like the emperor with no clothes. Everyone else can see it except you. And if you saw it, you would just get depressed and then say, oh, it's useless, I can't be a Christian. And God says, don't you understand that the closer you come to me, the more sensitive your conscience will be, the more of the inadequacies in you you will discover. And out of that, in your weakness, I will make you strong. You are most unuseful to me when you're self-confident and proud. You're very, very helpful to me when you know who you are without me and you're beginning to learn who I can be in you and through you. But from here to here is a lifelong process. This will actually only emerge through death in all its fullness. This is a little statue I got at a refugee camp in Israel. A Palestinian guy was sitting in the sun carving it and I said, can I buy that? He said, it's not finished. And I didn't have the heart to say, no, I know, but I prefer it like this than if you put high gloss on it. 
but he was carving it. He saw something. This is olive wood. This is just cedar. But he saw something. And if and you see, the thing is, I give my heart to Jesus, and he starts maybe chipping away. And if I could do this live, it would be, when do we stop the process? That's enough. Thank you, Jesus. You sandpapered me down. I'm a smooth block now. Or he pencils in the outline. So that's cool. I see my potential. And blessed are those poor in spirit who hunger and thirst are those who go, Jesus, I want, you to, I want to be all that you want me to be. But God has the vision for you here. You don't have it. And I guarantee you over each one of us, the vision we have for our lives is way, way short of this. Because what you start with is what feels good to you, what feels natural, and what feels like it's possible in your realm of thinking. God says, I am a master craftsman. I am able to do with this block 50 50 different cuttings and shapes than you would even dream of. But I have to have my hands on you. And where our relationship often falls is you let, I will not force my hands on you. And you only let the hand of God really work on you when you're, you know, the problem is usually when we're desperate. He goes, when, when I was watching that guy sitting in the sun doing this, he was doing it lovingly and gently. It wasn't, it wasn't full of tension. It wasn't because he needed to in the sense of this needed something. It was just he was being a craftsman. And God's greatest delight with us is just saying, if you just let me hold you and take control and you yield to me, I will do things which are way beyond your agenda and off your map. Blessed are the poor in spirit are those who have said, Father, I don't know all that you have put in me. I want to. This is what somebody said, the the author that I was reading. He says, I'm still amazed at how little I love God and how much I love the world. How much I still desire the approval of man in my heart while longing for the approval of God with my mouth. I'm amazed that after all these years of devotion and all the years of ministry, he was quite involved in worship ministry, I still know so little about the God I claim to adore. I'm more broken than I want to admit. I'm weaker than I could ever have imagined. I'm more fragile than I let on to my peers. I daydream at times about my own greatness. The profound things I will say to all the right people at just the right time so that they will crown me king of people who know stuff and are really smart. I am starving to meet real Christians. As I travel across the nations, I meet many who know the language of the church, but there are very few who understand the language of God's heart. And you know, we get these clues and you see that the only thing that's going to be offended by what I'm saying today is the ego. There is a battle between kingdoms. The one kingdom says, I am at the center. The other one says, Jesus is Lord. And there is a battle. And the way that battle gets manifest is in our daily living. How do you get from here to here? It's a process that goes through the days. The circumstances of our lives, the relationships we're part of, everything that happens during the days are how this happens. I want to control it. And he says, trust me in the midst of it all and you will see things shaped here that you never even knew was going on. I want to take control and say, just do this little bit and do this little bit. And he says, just let me do what I want to do because my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Look at the people, I can just quote them quickly. Moses, who was asked to to lead the people out of Egypt and what does he say when God calls him? He says, I'm not worthy, I stutter, I'm an old man with a stick. And God says, but I am, is with you. Look at David, who's just a young shepherd boy, and the, the rest of his family say he's not even worth calling up when they're looking for the anointed one. And then David is anointed, and he spends 14 years running through the wilderness, getting absolutely attacked before he actually gets to the point of being anointed king. 
In my experience, so many people want ministry without any character building. You just want to rush through it and you go, you can't. Isaiah says, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. That's a man who's poor in spirit. He's not depressed. He just says, I know who I am. And the beginning of being able to be used by God and to grow with God is when I start knowing who I am. And I can't know who I am if I'm on my own because on my own I tend to look quite good to myself. On my own I can fantasize about the, how much I love everybody. I can fantasize how spiritual I am because it's not tested. That's why you won't get character building through TV. You will get character building through relationship. Facebook likes are not an indication of how popular you are. Jeremiah says, I'm too young when he was called. I'm too young, I can't speak. Job came to the point after his sort of depressing years where he says, I despise myself. Now that's not about self-hatred. It's just, I am so aware of what I'm not. And that's when Jesus steps and says, I know, and that's why I'm your savior. Let me put my hands on you or let me put them back on you. You walked away when it hurt last time. You blamed the people who I was using. You said to, they, they were causing you problems. You were asking me to get them out of your life and I was saying, they're my chisels. You remember you said you loved everyone? Simon Peter denied, you know, we've gone through this many times. And he goes outside and he weeps bitterly. Why does he weep bitterly? Because he realizes that he can do nothing. All his passion and all his strength and all his ability to do stuff for Jesus falls because a little girl says, don't I know you? And he's weeping bitterly in the darkness. It's about self-revelation. And then there's the revelation of a Jesus who comes to that man who's weeping bitterly and says, now I can use you. You want to follow Jesus? You've got to get broken. And broken is just about saying, when you're at your very worst, he says, now I can use you. And it's your story of when you're at your very worst and how I rescued you that's actually going to reach people. Because in your weakness, I'm going to manifest my strength. You're very, very beautiful when you're actually unable to do things in your own strength. Paul says to Timothy, I'm the worst of sinners. This is what I did, but there's hope and transformation. He actually says, "I'm I'm so bad in what I was doing, but God is able to glorify himself through that very thing, that my human frailty and my ability to kill and murder and get everything wrong has been used by God to transform and to bear witness to his grace. Because they say, look who's Paul. He went off and killed people. He went off and he did all this stuff. But when we meet him now, he's a totally different character. And he says, it wasn't me. It was Jesus who actually in his love knocked me off my, my mule onto the dust, made me blind. For, it took three days until I was actually humble enough to say, I think I got it wrong. What does it take for God to get your attention? Is he trying to get your attention? Does he get it straight away or do we have to hit the wall? And then we say, why did God let this happen? It's a girl called Caroline. She, was, she posted something for I Am Second. And this is what she says. My whole, she's, well, let me read. My whole life I've appeared to have all my cute little ducks in a row. I don't recall ever trying to arrange the ducks just so, but nevertheless I appear to have it all together. I measured my successful appearance by, that, by what the scale said, so much so that I developed an eating disorder at the age of 14. I was voted captain of the varsity cheerleading squad, nominated to the homecoming court, and had the love and devotion of a sought-after guy in high school. My childhood experiences were all wonderful, and I hailed my roots from a family that was well-educated, cultured, and had money. I attended church, was a young life leader, and I knew the Bible well. I received a solid education, traveled the world, learned another language, made great money at jobs I worked hard at, and was able to provide for myself. 
I also had a community of friends and loved ones who supported me through everything. When looking at these external things, everything was okay. All of our lists of external things may look different, but the notion is the same. These things make us all right. But when I looked inside, I knew otherwise. I never realized until I came into recovery, because she got into addictive drugs. I never realized until I came into recovery that for so long I relied upon these things to be my identity and my worth. To me, living on these things as my identity sure as hell beat the real truth, which was and is, and this is very beautifully said, that I'm actually quite broken, a lovely mess, a complicated little puzzle that's been well acquainted with darkness and lightness alike. See, blessed are the poor in spirit are those who begin to be able to share the revelation of who they are without God in order to bear testimony to who they're becoming. And that ebbs and flows. I've shown you this before, but I think this video you know, sums it up, what we're talking about. The, the poor in spirit is not about depression. It's about truthfulness. It's about realizing that when uh, what we have become in the world is far off from what God intended for us to be. And for us to become, to, Jesus bridges this gap. And so it's all about, uh, will you be supernaturally joyful in the process of him transforming you from, greater, from glory to glory is what the Bible says. So here's what the process can look like. Where we get stuck is that we often talk to God from this place and he really wants to talk to us from this place. What that means is you're a son and daughter, you're a saint because of who Jesus is. So you are enormously inquisitive to know how he wants and what he wants to form in you. And the relationship of following Jesus and being a Christian is actually letting him work to bring you from this place to this place. But many of us live from here and just tell God how miserable we are and what we aren't about and this and that. And he doesn't mind us doing that, but eventually he says, why don't you talk to me from this place? Thank you, Jesus, that I'm much loved. Thank you that I'm your son. Thank you that you delight in me. And then as we talk to him like that, he says, now will you trust me to make it true? And the circumstances of your life are the chisels of my hand and my heart. And the circumstances of your life are, is, are what's going to lead to this. So I want you to stop trying to control me. Stop trying to control every circumstance and start living victorious in the midst of it. And you need to walk with your brothers and sisters. And the reason you need to walk with your brothers and sisters is that when he said, what do you see in the mirror? And I said, well, I see me. Well, the greatest testimony to me living in you is when your brothers and sisters start bearing witness to me living in you. When they start saying, I see Jesus in you. When we stop declaring what God's doing because we don't actually want to do the work and we are poor in spirit and we say, Jesus, will you complete in me? And it's very, very attractive when people start saying, I'm just asking God to keep on working in this. It's very attractive when people are humble and they're I'm just working on how I speak, I'm working on my thoughts, so I'm working on my struggle with pornography, I'm working on my addiction. I just, I feel so ashamed, but this truth is God has set me free. I just want to learn how to get there. There's no condemnation in Jesus. And so the healthy Christian can speak of this and speak of this at the same time. It's called a paradox. Satan will bear attention to what you're not. Jesus will bear attention to what you're becoming. And he will be very visible in the things that you don't think count. It's all in attitude. Let's stand and let's ask him to continue to work in us.